We're lovely. We're lovely. Yeah. So have you been shopping lately? Like online or otherwise? Uh, for food? Yeah. Yes. Everything has gone up. Has it? You haven't noticed? I mean, I'm not buying like the same thing that I normally buy. I'm buying like either very inexpensive clothing from fast fashion brands. So it's like, this is a $12 sweater or like... <laughs> A small mattress to go under my desk so I can take naps on breaks at work. <laughs> that's and that's great. like not a typical thing I and buy. I, so love, I, I love that you work for a company that are totally okay with that. Well, Google does it. And they are arguably one of the more successful companies in one the world. Would, one would think. So, yeah. Yeah. And there are whole countries where it's very, like, it's weird if you don't take a nap in the yeah. middle of the yeah. day. So, like... My grandpa Hannah, so, you, you know, you've heard me talk about him lots. He's a doctor. <laughs> yep. And he used to come home and have lunch with his family every day and then take a 20-minute nap and then go back to work. Well, and you know what? If that's what my doctor needs, because he was a GP, yeah? Well, at that point, he was the deputy uh, public health officer for the city of Regina. Good heavens. Yeah. I, I don't totally know what that entails. but well, like it's, pu it's public health. So. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Like, I... If I'm writing, if I'm editing, if I'm having important conversations with the people I manage, mm -hmm. I need to be able to give them my full brain. Yeah, and not have your, not have your, you know, be drooling on your yeah. shirt and your head bobbing. And yeah, the other thing bad. I've read is some people's brains, especially if you're neurodiverse, um, it has to work harder to do mm -hmm. things that mm -hmm. other people just do. And so, yeah, you get tired. Yeah. Um, so, so I take naps. You bought, anyway, you bought, you I bought, bought that to, okay. To sleep on under my desk. So you haven't noticed like produce or I mean gas. gas. Yeah. I've noticed gas. Of course I have, but yeah, but not that much because I've been riding my electric scooter to work. Good for you. Yay. Yeah. That's, anyway, that's fantastic. Clearly you were trying to make a point. So why don't you well, go ahead and I make it? Well, I was making the point that every, I mean, just everything has gone up. Um, I've noticed restaurants, like mm. eating out is way more expensive. I've noticed produce is really expensive. Meat's really expensive. Groceries generally have mm -hmm. gone up. And yeah, so I'm, you know, thinking twice about, you know, mm, do I really need fresh blueberries or will frozen do the job? Frozen lasts longer because well, they're frozen. Yeah. And mostly I put them in smoothies. So, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. No. No. But... Yeah, so anyway, I've just been noticing that um, there's just everything costs more. Mm -hmm. So w are you doing anything to save money other than taking your scooter to work instead of driving? Yeah, um, I'm mostly just like... You've got a gym in your new yeah, office building. You don't yeah. have to buy a gym membership. Yeah, um, so there's that. Um, there's also just having like something small for lunch which is provided by my office. We have snacks. So wow. um, I'm saving money there. Um, yeah. 
I, I almost want to say like showering at the gym because then I save on water, but I don't, I don't pay for water in my, in my apartment. Um, I'm mostly just trying to, I, I, I've developed this habit of like digital window shopping where I like see something I want and I put it in my cart and then I just delete everything from my cart <laughs> and it's very like, ah, okay. I got the dopamine rush from putting it in your cart. Yeah. And and now I don't need to follow through okay. on buying it. And sometimes if I'm like still like, oh, I really need to get that or like like, um, you know, earbags. And I know you know what they yes. are because you use yes. them um, when I'm on my scooter on the way to work. My ears are super sensitive. Mm. Yeah, if I there's an, that too. Oh, any breeze at all. Yeah, yeah. that's like vaguely mm. chilled. It's like my brain feels like it's going to start melting out of my ears. It hurts so badly. It does hurt. you got to explain what earbags are. Yeah, so they're like... Good luck with that. They're earmuffs that don't have a band. They kind of... Um, There's a wire in them. Yeah. And they're made out of polar fleece. And they slip around your ear like a little bag. And then you kind of pop them into place. Yeah. The wire, the wire hugs your head. Yeah. So um, it's something that, like, when I'm on my scooter... My ears get quite cold. I can wear like a headband or a toque, but I'm quite vain and do like my hair to be done well. I, I have to ask where you found earbags because Amazon. Tell me your oh Amazon, and you didn't have to buy like fourteen of them. No, no. okay, because I have tried ordering them online before, and you had to order a certain number, and huh. I was not willing to do that. Yeah, no, but like I, I don't want to mess up my hair any more than wearing a helmet already does. Right. Um. So. Earbags are an excellent solution. Well, plus they fit inside your helmet. And they fit inside my I helmet. I never thought of that. So I yeah. I thought about getting them and I was like, oh, it's, I don't need them, need them. But I've just been like, my life will be infinitely easier and less frustrating trying to figure out how I'm going to do my hair before I throw a helmet on it and a toque. Uh, if I just get the stupid earbags and they just arrived yesterday, I wore them on my way to work today. Yay! And they did an excellent job of keeping my ears. Yeah. Oh, I think they're fantastic. And they fit so easily in your pocket if mm -hmm. of your, you know, ski jacket or whatever for winter time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So things are more expensive. Things are is, more. Is the summation. Everything costs more. Oh, see, now I just feel like this is so cheesy, my transition. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. I want to talk about the cost of following Jesus. It's not the cheesiest one you've ever done. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally joking. So what is the cost of following Jesus? Depends on where you live. Well, true enough. Yeah. But wherever you live, it's whatever you have. Mm. Right? So it could be our time. It could be our money, our assets, our strengths our and weaknesses. Freedom. Yeah, our, our emotional and physical energy, and also our reputation. Mm -hmm. And these are all, these are really the, the things that we actually control, to some degree anyway. So following Jesus means bringing all of those things to him and it's saying, Lord, these things belong to you and not me. Mm -hmm. Every one of them is a gift from you. And so I'm offering them back to you to invest in your redemptive work on, for this planet. So let's talk about what it means to give God our time. That was That's one of the things that we have control of. Mm. I've noticed that it's easier to give God my life than my hours. Mm. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? I, 
I don't know that I can articulate it, but I, I certainly resonate with it. Hours, it feels like there's always something else waiting that has to be done or feels super important. There's, in terms of my life, that's a big thing. That's like... Well, and it's abstract. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, yeah, take it. I'm not yeah. doing a whole lot with it, so go nuts. <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, we sort of think... Um, you know, God, I give you my life, but can it just wait one more hour? Yeah. <laughs> right? Because there's something I want to do tomorrow. First. Yeah. You know, I know you want me to get out of bed and meet with you, but I just need this hour of sleep. Or I know you want me to befriend that neighbor, um, but I really need to cut my lawn. Mm. Or, you know, I, I really, you really, I know you really want me to serve that homeless person, but I'm in a I'm hurry late. right now. Yeah. Been yeah. <laughs> <In> there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. And so giving God our lives, as I said, is very abstract, but giving him our hours, it requires surrender multiple mm -hmm. times a day, surrender of our own plans and agenda. Feels like ongoing negotiation. <laughs> uh, expand on that. So like, yeah, multiple times a day. It's not just like, okay, I give you this, you give me that. Great. Shake on it. It's all done. It's like, okay, mm. I need this from you. Okay, you can have that from me. I, I will do this instead. Okay, great. I also need this from you. Okay, other people need things from me too. Well, I need this from you. But okay, fine, fine. But I also need to go do this. No, no, I need this from you. It, it It's like that. And I'm making God sound like a toddler. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it, being willing to surrender your time on an ongoing basis it's kind of is like parenting <laughs> true enough or management <laughs> or grandparenting yeah well apparently you know we're not the only ones with this problem because in luke chapter 9 jesus said to someone follow me and he said certainly but first excuse me for a couple of days please i have to make arrangements for my father's funeral and scholars believe that the guy's father wasn't dead yet might oh. not even have been near death <laughs> And Jesus refused. He said, first things first, your business is life, not death, and life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom. Then another said, I'm ready to follow you, master, but first excuse me while I get things straightened out at home, like things are ever straightened out at home. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus said, no, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off until tomorrow. Seize the day. We saw such amazing examples of this kind of immediate obedience that Jesus is asking for when we visited the underground church in China. Um, when the leader of a house church movement heard about an earthquake that had occurred in the spring of 2008 in Sichuan province, he said to the Christians he led, like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Christians uh -huh. that he led in this movement, he said to them, our worship is underground, but our love is not under mm. underground. And then within, get this, three days, over a thousand Christians had quit their jobs and bought one-way bus tickets and moved into the area affected Goodness. by the earthquake. And didn't it take the government months or something? Well, yeah, the, like the government, I think, was in there right away, but they left way before the Christians did, mm. way before people really had what they need to go on with their lives. So they bought these one-way tickets and they moved into the area and they served these people who had lost everything. And then six months after the earthquake, when we, when, which was when we visited this area, we met a young woman named Grace. She was one of the many 
Christians still there doing things that nobody else wanted to do. And actually, a Communist Party official asked this group why they were so committed to helping the earthquake victims. And they answered, because we have love in our hearts, and this is our job. Mm. On a side note, I, I love this part of the story. God, in his great kindness, rewarded Grace's obedience and sacrifice. Because among the other Christians who dropped everything to answer God's call to action was the man was who became the love of Grace's life. Yay! And they were married that December, surrounded not by flowers and decorations, but by rocks and rubble and hundreds of grateful new believers among the earthquake survivors. Nice. God wants our hours. Yeah, God wants our hours. But he also wants us to offer him our resources. Um, there's a friend of ours, and you know who this is, but I've given him a different name. We'll call him Daniel. He's a friend of ours, and he spent over a decade working really hard to build a successful business. At a time when he was too depleted to continue, too burnt out, he received an offer to purchase the business and made a decision to sell it. Well, overnight, he found himself very wealthy. One Sunday morning, he was in the shower getting ready to go to church. It wasn't his own church, but the church of some friends. Well, some people sing in the shower. Apparently, Daniel prays. Mm. <laughs> because while he was praying, he felt God asking him to give generously to the church they were planning to visit that day. Daniel was quick to comply. He loves to give. And he said, how much, God? Well, he felt like he'd received a pretty clear answer from God. And so he got out of the shower. He dressed for church. And then during the offering time later that day in the service... Daniel filled out a check as the offering plate made its usual journey back and forth, you know, along the rows of, of church people. But when the plate reached him, he just let it pass. And instead, he got up out of a seat and he walked pretty self-consciously to the front where the pastor stood leading the service. And Daniel just placed his check right into the pastor's hands. And at first, the pastor's eyes grew wide and then they flooded with tears and finally he lay prostrate on the floor and wept. Mm. What Daniel could never have known was that that church had suffered months of financial hardship. In fact, the staff hadn't been paid oh. for a couple of weeks and the pastor really wondered how long they could continue to keep the doors open. But God answered that pastor's desperate prayer through Daniel. The check he made out to that church was signed and dated, but otherwise blank. Mm. Daniel had handed that pastor a blank check. What an outrageously generous gift. Mm -hmm. God wants us to offer him our time and our resources and also our strengths and weaknesses. I think it's important to talk about offering him our weaknesses because a lot of times um, we're happy to give God our strengths, but we want to hide our weaknesses, mm -hmm. right? I don't know. Have you ever sensed that God wanted you to do something, but you hesitated because you didn't feel worthy? This is unfortunately very telling. Not that I haven't felt worthy, more that I haven't felt equipped. Okay. Same thing. I yeah, mean, not I exactly the same, but... It still feels like a weakness. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I mean, it could be you don't feel like you're accomplished enough or you're holy enough or you have too much baggage or somebody else could do it better. Mm -hmm. And then you just, you, you know, because you feel that way, you just wait until the, the prompting goes away. And I've done that. I've struggled with that for sure. I remember producing the DVDs for the 10 Smart Things course um, was just brutal for me because I, I knew there were so many people who are better communicators than I am, especially in front of a camera. Allowing those sessions to be videotaped and reproduced just felt like I was pretending to be better than I am. Mm. Someone that, you know, someone else. It was a terrible feeling. And in honesty, I still hate to be in the room when those recordings are being played. But, you know, I didn't see that kind of reserve among the Christians I met in China. It, it seemed to me like their passion to serve God just completely overshadowed any self-doubt they had. And in fact, it seems that they follow Jesus with no self-consciousness at all. It, it's like they've just realized it's not about them. Mm. It's about God. And I want to learn to serve God with that kind of abandon. And I think that's what God wants from us. Jesus often told parables to make a point. And one, one day he told this well, one. Our dog who's in, in the room is, is growling. Now, Bear with us. How about we don't do that, Levi? Shush. Yeah, be a good good podcast. (laughs) Okay, so in Matthew, Jesus said, it's like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one, he gave $5,000, to another $2,000, to a third $1,000, depending on their abilities, and then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same, but the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. So he said, and this is not the passage, this is me talking, he said the same thing to each of his two servants. So I'm just throwing that in to save us a bit of time. Each of his three? uh, No, the first two, sorry, each of the first two servants. His master commended them, good work, you did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant given the 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and you hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. That did not make the master happy. (laughs) He said, Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. I want to point out a few things about this teaching. Notice that the master's praise in this story isn't only for the most gifted servant. His praise is given equally and identically to the servant with more modest abilities. The behavior rewarded wasn't gifting or ability. It was abandon. The behavior condemned was caring more about the risk to the servant himself than the results for the master. You see, this story isn't really about money. It's about trust. It's about love. It's about giving them both with abandon. It's saying, God, I know I don't have the background or the abilities or the personality of your most gifted followers, but I love you. So here's what I have. I trust you with all of it. The messy parts and the pretty parts, all my strengths, and weaknesses. You know, when you when you think about it, we all have reasons to hold back from God. I mean, we might fail. Maybe we have secret sins. We have baggage and insecurities. I certainly do. 
Certainly many of the Chinese Christians I met do. One example is, is somebody I'll call John. John had to decide whether to quit school as a 12-year-old in order to go to seminary and become a church planter. Well, the family fasted and prayed about the decision, and when they had done that, they felt like that was God's direction. So God, John left home with one change of clothes, a Bible, a pencil, and a journal. That was a hard choice to make as a 12-year-old for John because he loved, kidding. he loved school. And he was a really good student and really their family really values education. And he certainly could have allowed that, that deficit in his life to hold him back from serving God fully, but he hasn't. He now leads a movement of over a million people. And here's the really interesting part. Most of his work is educating university students. <laughs> this kid with a like a 12-year-old, what's that, a grade 6 education? Mm, I haven't been 12 for a while. Yeah, well, anyway. Um, and so he, he was, he's, his work is to train and educate university students to be underground church leaders. It is truly amazing to see what God can do with our strengths and our weaknesses if we will just serve him with abandon. God also wants our energy. A few years ago, a Christian woman I know asked me to pray for her. She was about to write the exam for her real estate license, and she was experiencing some nervousness. And I knew this woman and her husband were pretty well off financially. I knew that she'd never worked outside of the home before. And so I asked her what prompted her to pursue this career. And she said, well, the kids are grow up, grown up now, and I need something to do. And I had this overwhelming urge to start bashing my head against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, with my outside voice, I said, oh, but with my inside voice, I said, but you have something to do, something so significant and stimulating. It allows no room for boredom, something so important, so crucial. It's worth all the effort, energy and passion you can muster. It's worth living and dying for. How can a person who's committed her life to Christ lack for meaningful things to do? Yeah. Right? I, I think of the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 to 10. He said, in everything we do, we try to show that we are true ministers of God. We have been beaten, put in jail, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We're poor but we give spiritual riches to others. We owe nothing, and yet we have everything. And of course, countless others since Paul's day have also worked to exhaustion. The stories of Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, and William Wilberforce come to mind. Countless unknown nuns and missionary doctors, prison chaplains, teachers, and small-town pastors who serve God in obscurity with total devotion. I feel like in our culture, we've become very concerned with balance and boundaries. I wonder how many of us know what it is to labor to the point of exhaustion for the cause of Christ. Mm. Now, granted, we're in a marathon, not a sprint. Not only is it unsustainable, it doesn't honor God to neglect our families or our health or keep an outrageous pace, even in service to God, service to God. We need to learn the biblical rhythm, rhythms of engagement and rest. But how open are we to committing our most productive hours of the day, our greatest creativity, our best effort for the things that matter most to Jesus? 
Jesus also wants our reputation. In John 3.30, John the Baptist said this, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Earlier in my life, I feel like I had a pretty dysfunctional relationship with pride and shame. Mm. Maybe you can relate. <laughs> but there was a time when I needed to be treated a certain way, to get credit for what I did, uh, to get attention. And I put a lot of energy into gaining a reputation that, that people would respect. And to, from time to time, I still fight that sense of entitlement. When I speak at an event and I'm housed in a drafty old room at a nasty camp or, you know, a, 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 a scuzzy motel, I feel put out. My natural inc inclination is to make a name for myself that prompts people to put me on a pedestal. It's interesting that in China's underground church, nobody wants to make a name for themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't even use their real names. If they make a name for themselves, they'll end up in prison, at least in certain parts of China. And the other thing is we notice that the leaders of the underground church are so humble. They're offended when you speak of them as leaders. They never use those terms. They speak of the church or movement that they serve. What they do is done for God's reputation, not their own. In giving God our reputation, we're actually freeing ourselves of the weight of egotism, that unhealthy preoccupation with self that keeps us, you know, looking in the mirror to check our appearance or over our shoulder to see who's watching or online to read our reviews. There really is freedom to be found when we release everything to God, our time, energy, our money, our baggage, our reputation, everything. Yet living for Jesus is costly. It requires sacrifice. And what we give away, we can't keep for ourselves. What we each have to decide is whether or not following Jesus is worth that loss. J.I. Packer wrote the following. One day we shall see that nothing, literally nothing, that could have increased our eternal happiness has been denied us. And that nothing, literally nothing, that could have reduced that happiness has been left with us. What higher assurance do we want than that? As we open our hands to offer the gifts of our time, our financial resources, our strengths and weaknesses, our energy and our reputation to God, the shadow lives we've created for ourselves retreat in the overwhelming light of Jesus' pleasure and the life he created for us. So what I want our listeners to think about today is what would it cost for me to be all in, in following Jesus? And how do we determine what that looks like in our lives? Well, I think the Holy Spirit will be pointing that out to people. I mean, certainly when I have an area of my life that is unsurrendered, yeah, he lets me know. There's nudges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to pay attention, as yeah. fun as that can be. <laughs> well, um, thanks for that, Mom. Good, good episode. Good podcast. I'm new here. I, anyway, <laughs> subscribe on your favorite app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. Or you can listen anytime using the MyJoy Radio app. That is it for us today on Grow on the Go. I'm Kevin Pankhurst. And I'm Donna Carter, inviting you to grow on the go. Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com.